Hey, this is Jason from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron, located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky. 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettlebell classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. Hello everyone, you're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. Today we are going to discuss poetry. Yes, poetry, Shannon. (laughs) As always, across from me is Shannon Deaton, who, by the way, is the 2020 recipient of the coveted Southeastern Kentucky Poet of the Year Award. So, Shannon, uh, how are you today? And I I will now do my finger snaps. I think that's what happens in poetry. It's what's appropriate. It's what I've come to expect when when my name is called. You made that sound... uh, uh, Pretty official. I, I should probably clarify. I've I've not received an award, fortunately. It, it's Maybe in, someday. It's in the mail. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so, just, so I just missed out on it. Yeah. Probably just kind of got crossed in the mail or something. Yeah. Okay. Just just keep looking for it. So I like poetry. You a fan? Uh, I am. Yeah. I was. Uh, I kind of got really involved in that, and I was. I was probably a bigger fan. Maybe like late high school, early college. Oh yeah. Uh, probably a lot of people kind of get into poetry and braise different things, you know, probably around that time. Uh, but no, I I, uh, I like poetry. Uh, I wasn't necessarily a very good poet. I remember my senior writing portfolio where you had to have like, you know, certain pieces of writing, right? Yeah. And so one of those was you had to have a literary piece. Oh, so, could that be a poem? Uh, it could be a poem. And thank okay. the good Lord it was because time was running out <laughs> and I did not know I had to do a literary piece. And so uh, I wrote uh, the classic, uh, tick tock, tick tock, goes the clock on the wall. Tick tock, tick tock, time is coming for us all. Oh man! And that was it. And I wrote that in about four minutes. That's deep. So profound. Any, any critical analysis on that? N- none. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely none. So, so what? Just about a clock. Huh? Uh, that's right. And so uh, I think both of us have taught eighth grade English. Yeah. I think at some point, you know, in our careers. And I remember uh, the day that I went in. And we were we were going over some of these poems, right? And right. Edgar Allan Poe and some things. And and I remember just thinking, okay, guys, and I'm talking to my students here. Today's the day you get to read Robert Frost. And I thought that was going to carry such weight like I would forever have their attention at that point. Lives would change. And I was wrong. <laughs> they did not care about the great poets. Oh, no. No. That's unfortunate. How about how about your experiences? Same. I, I really enjoyed poetry. I especially got into it around college. Whenever I took a Shakespeare class, we studied oh, a lot cool. of the sonnets, which uh, I really enjoyed. I liked the form of the sonnets. In eighth grade, I got to teach a lot of this. Robert Frost is big in eighth grade. I don't know why. I don't know why that's kind of where he gets placed. I think he's... <laughs> For all times, Jason, I think you can can read Robert Frost any old time. He's just a good middle school poet. He must be. Right. Yeah. The poetry unit, uh, when I was teaching uh, middle school, that was one of my favorites. I mean, I I really like that. The kids like that, too. Yeah. And and I don't know. They just really were able to engage with it more quickly than they were the short stories. And it was for kids of all levels. They just really enjoyed the poetry unit. And I don't know about your students, but I know some of mine really like the idea of having like some some structure, like, you know, writing haikus or or limericks, or there's there's some certain rules that have to be followed. There's a challenge to it almost. Right. Uh, And then 
there are some other types of poetry that basically there are no rules, right? You right. can even throw capitalization out the window and, no and punctuation. punctuation and all that. Yeah. So some of my students very much like kind of being boxed into having rules and mm-hmm. then some hated that. And right. I always thought that was probably a lot of uh, really telling about their personalities. Oh, yeah. Now I can definitely see that. So who do we have up first? I think we're actually going to read some poetry. Is that right? Hey, I brought I brought several of my favorite poems today. I did too, man. All right. N- none from Dr. Seuss, though. Although... <laughs> You know, shout out to Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> I love his green eggs and ham. Okay, so the uh, the first poem that we're going to read today, again, is Robert Frost, who we've already mentioned. And this poem was written in 1916, and it is called The Road Not Taken, one of his more popular poems. Yep. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Hmm. Snap, snap, snap. Snappy, snap. snappy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What do you think about that? I like it. So he, he ran into a divergence in the woods, went right. one way, the way people don't usually go. And Jason, I'm, I'm sensing some metaphors there and, and some symbolism. Oh, all, so all over the place. He's not right? just in the woods on a path, right? <laughs> just got more to do with life. I think he means something a little bit different. Yeah. I think my, my, my two favorite uh, lines in this poem are probably the last two where he just says, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Yeah. And so you could take that a number of ways. Maybe he's talking about maybe his his happiness. Maybe he's talking about his success. Whatever it may be, uh, he seems to think that he took the one that most people don't, and that's really what made all the difference for him. Yeah, so you know? it's all about life decisions. Yeah, probably why it's a really good uh, middle school poem. When I, when I first <laughs> read that poem, I always thought, man, why, why didn't he just go back and you know just kind of check out that other path, though? Like, <laughs> he's just in the woods somewhere. Right. It's no big deal. You know, I, I think when I first read it, it was probably in grade school, honestly, that poem. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, why is it such a big deal that he went down that path? Like, <laughs> these woods are probably up next to his house somewhere. Just just go check it out. Right. See what's down that other path, man. Today would be like a... Apparently, that's, that's the well-worn path that's that's where people are riding their right. four-wheelers so Take it's that okay what's going on yeah <laughs> today's kids would be like hey just fly a drone over the other that's one i'll right. walk this one but i'll i'll check this one out uh you know from from an aerial point of view that's right? how it goes yeah yeah so shannon what do you have for us okay so i have a poem called ozymandias by percy shelley it was first published in january 1818 so what was that about 200 years it's been a while yeah. it's been a little while yeah so the poem goes like this I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias. King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. 
So, wow. Apparently, this guy runs, runs into a traveler. The traveler says, hey, you know what? Over here in the desert, you're going to find this great big statue. And if you go and check out that statue, it's completely destroyed. But yet on the base of that statue, it says, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look at my works, ye mighty and despair. And the statue is crumbled as is the city. And I, I don't think it's just about a statue. A lot of, a lot of irony to that, right? There, there certainly is. Uh, Shelley's thought to have written this poem as a reflection on Egyptian pharaoh Ramesses II. The poem reveals the hubris of man. I always love that word, hubris. <laughs> it's usually used when you're referring to gods, Greek gods, right. Roman gods, that sort of thing, or in this case, Egyptian pharaohs. Uh, but the poem reveals the inevitable decline of rulers with their pretensions of greatness. So this guy thought he was a big deal, apparently. You know, look on my work, she mighty in despair, and yet his kingdom is no more. They're like, what works? <laughs> right. That's right. So, yeah, Ozymandias, if nothing else, I like the name. It's pretty cool. I think it kind was one of the names given to Ramesses. Kind of reminds me of Ozzy, Ozzy and Harriet. Ozzy, oh, Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Smith. Yeah. Shortstop, St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> all kinds great. of Aussies. All, all sorts of things. Right. So, Jason, what's our next poem? Next up, Shannon, we have a poem written in 1849 by a fellow named Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, Eddie. One of the big ones. Yeah, I know right. Eddie. I think we are going to be discussing him a little more uh, come October. We are. I think we're going to possibly devote a whole episode That's to right. Poe. He's very, uh, has a lot of Halloween-y vibe going on, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he does. Edgar Allan Poe. I can just see his picture in my mind. He's he's got that very black serious. hair, just very <laughs> serious man. Uh, he's a stern guy. Yeah, I believe he is. Yeah. So the poem I'm going to read today is Annabelle Lee. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea, but we lived with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. Yeah, definitely. Right. <laughs> we get some snaps yeah, on that. Maybe get a couple extra for that. Uh, my favorite line, nor the demons down under the sea can ne can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. I promise you I was about to say that exact <laughs> that's my, same thing. That's my favorite. So what do you think about this poem? I don't know why that poem makes me smile, because it shouldn't. It's it's sad. It's melancholic. Yeah, it's it's really sad, but it's like it's just so well done. It's like just so smart. The rhythm and, of yeah. it, man. Can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle? Yeah. Well, you can just wrap that. Yeah, 
<laughs> that's that's wonderful. I love that. Yeah, I, I love Edgar Allan Poe and his stories, but this is probably my favorite piece of writing, short stories included, uh, that I've ever read of, of Edgar Allan Poe. Me too. I love Annabelle Lee. It's great. So what's up? So next up, we have one of my favorite poems, not by Edgar, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, but Walt Whitman from 1865, Oh Captain, My Captain. You heard of this oh, one? Oh, yeah. This one goes back also to eighth grade because, man, there there's some poets in eighth grade, apparently. That that must be the year <laughs> That's that a sweet year, right? your yeah. literary mind just it's kicks It's also in. The, uh, uh, the Robin Williams movie, Dead Poets Society. Oh, that's right, yeah. I think there's a big scene in there, Oh Captain, My Captain. I think a couple times maybe in the movie, yeah. uh, sort of in the middle and then at the end. Especially at the end, the yeah. kids are standing on the desk. Yeah. and That's a good scene. I think he's getting fired, isn't he? And, and they sort of look over at him and they're like, oh, Captain, my captain? And it's just... Yeah, he, he walks out, but he sort yeah. of knows he's made a lasting impression on him. It is. Yeah, that's cool. So here's the point. Oh, Captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting. While follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But oh heart, 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 oh the bleeding drops of red, where on the deck my captain lies, fallen cold and dead. Oh captain, my captain, rise up and hear the bells. Rise up for you the flag is flung, for you the bugle trills. For you bouquets and ribbon wreaths, for you the shores are crowding. For you they call, the swaying mass their eager faces turning. Here captain, dear father, this arm beneath your head, it is some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold and dead. My captain does not answer. His lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm. He has no pulse nor will. The ship is anchored safe and sound. Its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with object one. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells. But I, with mournful tread, walk the deck my captain lies, fallen cold and dead. Wow. That's deep, man. That is, yeah, that's no wonder that Oh Captain, My Captain is one of the all-star poems of all time. It is. Uh, The poem was composed, obviously, by Whitman in 1865, and this was following the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So it's in homage to uh, Lincoln. Whitman was also born in 1819 and died in 1892, and the American Civil War was sort of the central event of his life. Right. Which I think gives even more power to this particular poem it shows um the passion he felt for lincoln and for his leadership native kentuckian you know i've got to throw that out whenever right these uh these folks come up we, we have to do an episode on native kentuckians who who did things it would, it would, it would be a really good one <laughs> at some point yeah i think so uh, i don't think whitman and lincoln ever actually met but you know he, he definitely respected the man and this poem became more famous than than many of his of Whitman's other poems, and I think near the end of his life, he uh, he actually lamented that a little bit, and he said, oh, "Dang, really? my captain," because <laughs> he <laughs> he said, "Man, I, I almost wish I'd never written that poem." Um, <laughs> yeah, and honestly, when I think of "Oh, Captain, My Captain," I, I forever connect that to Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, me you too. know, obviously, I was taught that in school, and I and I taught that. So when I think that, I immediately make that connection, and I think that's a poem in the anthology. Was it called uh, "Leaves of Grass"? I think. Oh, yeah, the, it was in Leaves of Grass. Yeah, and so that was one of the, the big uh, anthologies, I think, that was basically ever written. Yeah. One of the more popular ones. It was. You know, that came out around 1865, I think right around 1865. I right think, around the time this 55, poem was written, somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood, yeah, yeah shortly thereafter. Um, one of the things I really like about this is the, the symbols of the, the ship. You know, you've got the captain who has fallen and right. has been killed. 
but the ship is coming in with victory and people on the shores are shouting and bells are ringing and they're exulting and yet we're mourning the death of the captain and i think this goes toward representing the outcome of the civil war it's over and yet the captain abraham lincoln is dead it's sad but it's also you know a a rejoicing at the end yeah you can uh obviously people you know make a connection to that as uh, the captain did his job Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the captain was struck down. Yeah. But the, the ship came in. The nation came in. So obviously, you can see those connections. It's a good poem. Yeah. So, Jason, what's up next? Next up, Shannon, I have poem number 288. And so if we're talking about okay. uh, poems being numbered, we're talking about Emily Dickinson. Yeah, we are. And so the, the name of the poem is I'm Nobody, Who Are You? Uh, and that is uh, poem number 288. It was written in 1891. And so here goes, I'm nobody, who are you? All right. I'm nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They'd advertise, you know, how dreary to be somebody, how public, like a frog, to tell one's name the live long June to an admiring bog. Mm. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the shorter ones. There's a lot to kind of unpack there, honestly. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? There's a pair of us. Don't tell. They advertise, you know, how dreary to be somebody. It's almost like she she's saying that uh, it, it would be kind of very sad and, and concerning and, and, as she says, dreary to maybe kind of be in the public lot. It or seems to, that yeah. way. What do you think about wasn't it? Wasn't she a little bit more of a, an introvert? Oh, I, sort of yeah. Sh- she would definitely be described sheltered inside way. Inside and, and didn't go out very often and i think that certainly plays into that i'm nobody you know how how dreary to be somebody because then you have to be in the the public light you have to be sort of turned on all the time you're performing for them and you know and and then even the last line there you know uh or the last two lines to tell one's name the live long june to an to an admiring bog to like, mm-hmm. you know, an admiring audience or right. to an admiring public or whatever. This That would be just so tiresome, you know, having to be on stage, so to speak, in front of right. everybody all the time. I think she would much more prefer to kind of be in her room by candlelight writing poetry by herself, you know. <laughs> and she calls the audience a bog, you know, an admiring bog. So, and, and a bog is sort of a, a swamp. Sure, yeah. So, you know, she's just saying that, yeah, there's people there, they're admiring, but at the end of the day, there's something sort of gross yeah. You know, and, and something you wouldn't desire, a place you would not want to be. Like, who wants to be in a swamp? Who wants to be right. in a bog? Yeah, nobody. Not right. nobody. Certainly not Emily Dickinson. And uh, we have another one by Dickinson here in just a little bit. But before we go there, Jason, I have a poem by Hughes Mearns. Uh, okay. It's from 1899. And the official title is Antigonish. But the subtitle is I Met a Man Who Wasn't There. And I first became acquainted with this poem when uh, I was watching a movie called Identity. Have you ever heard of that movie? Does it have John John Cusack? Cusack. Yeah. Yeah, uh, At a hotel. That's it. Multiple personality. Multiple personality. Yeah. yeah, No, that's that's exactly what it's about. Really good movie. So when you read this poem, you can kind of read it in two different contexts. It was officially uh, written and inspired by reports of a ghost roaming the stairs of a haunted Antigonish, Nova Scotia, Canada. But you could also read it in that context of identity as sort of having something looming at the edge of your mind, almost like a multiple personality or something that when you turn your head quickly, it's it's no longer there. So let me read right. it and then sure. maybe we can unpack it a little bit. So this is, I met a man who wasn't there. Yesterday, up on the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. When I came home last night at three, 
The man was waiting there for me, but when I looked around the hall, I couldn't see him there at all. Go away, go away, don't you come back anymore. Go away, go away, and please don't slam the door. Last night I saw up on the stair a little man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. That's kinda, I, I, I get chill bumps when I yeah, read that's, that Yeah, that's a, a little bit kind of just... Uh, Makes you feel a little paranoid or something. Yeah, I don't know. There's something's not quite right with that poem. <laughs> it's it's not. There's there's it's like, it's like a, a big contradiction, of, sort of. It it is. It it sort of gives you a sense of dread that you're coming home, and at home should be a place of warmth. It should be a place of inviting. You know, take off your shoes, sit down, have a meal. But this guy's haunted. Every time he comes home, he looks at the top of the stair and he sees a man who isn't there. And that's kind of what gives me the chills a little bit because just the way he says it, it's so certain. I'm. I'm met a man who wasn't there and then the last line i wish he'd go away yeah so i mean it's unsettling yeah it's almost like you know he's he's trying to dismiss what he's seeing or what he's feeling but but he can't yeah this poem was originally part of a play that Mearns wrote for an english class at harvard university but it's been used in popular culture we mentioned identity it's been used in several other movies and and pop culture and other references just because it's a short poem but it's one that's really striking right and it's something oh. that you can open up to a lot of different contexts so obviously the the haunting sort of aspect of it uh and then the multiple personality aspect oh there's there's someone else in my mind who shouldn't be there that's kind of a scary thought right oh golly yeah 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 that one there's no doubt why that is is a very popular poem because it just gets your attention it does there's just several things about it i mean it, it sets a really sort of a just bizarre mood yeah it does so jason let's uh let's go on to the next one what else you got uh shannon my last poem is by william carlos williams and the title of it is the red wheelbarrow Oh, written in 1923. So are you familiar with the Red Wheelbarrow? I am. I've heard of this one. I always like to uh, write this poem on the uh, the dry erase board. And then after we have read some other poems, right? Yep. And then I just sit down. <laughs> and then the students are like, well, where's the other part of it? Well, what right, happened? Right? Yeah, what's, what's with this? That's All a right. short poem. This is a little different. Yeah, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, very short poem. So uh, William Carlos Williams is the Red Wheelbarrow. So much depends upon... A red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. But Jason, where's the rest of it? <laughs> uh, Shannon, I want to turn the back page and <laughs> nope, nothing there. I don't know where that's that's all. You think when he wrote that there were like two pages stuck together in the in the book and just history forgot it's about just it. Like, he's 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 such this, you know, he's a he's a profound poet just yeah. because he lost the back page of this, right? <laughs> you like turn the page and it's the introduction to Hamlet. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, it's a very short poem. Uh, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. So when you really think about that, maybe it does. So much does depend upon this this uh, wheelbarrow. Maybe it's it's for food purposes, right? Or they're yeah. taking its, uh, maybe like their their livelihood depends upon this wheelbarrow for, for wood, you know, splitting wood and bringing in for fire or for gardens. I mean, he just basically, you can just kind of see him on the porch yeah. and kind of maybe it's just rained and there's a chicken in the yard and he just looks and says, that's an important <laughs> tool i have over there right you know yeah. i get a lot of stuff accomplished with that sure. red wheelbarrow yeah it's important important thing on the farm here what i like about that poem is it's so short that when you're reading it in a literary context like in a college class it's sort of like what you said as a student you'll read it and then you kind of look up for a moment <laughs> and you think all right what did i miss 
because I'm reading this in a literary context. This is a college course, so you know what what does the author mean by red? What what is wheelbarrow? You know what 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 are the chickens in this uh, analogy? You know so, um, but but if I'm honest. I don't know that there is any deeper. You just kind of take it at face, there. face value, right? Yeah, the the red wheelbarrow, and you know, so much depends upon the red wheelbarrow. So you could read so much into that. Obviously, it's an, an important tool, but you know, there's there's other contexts in which a, a red right. wheelbarrow could be important as well. You know, we don't know what this guy's been into today. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Maybe you know, he's he's been in, with Annabelle Lee and uh maybe you know, he's reading he's trying to you know, transport her over to the, the <laughs> sepulcher by the sea there I don't know <laughs> so, so much does depend on that red <laughs> he's carrying Annabelle Lee and they're both you know they're both reading Edgar Allan Poe maybe Emily Dickinson as they go could right? be man yeah. perhaps they're reading the next poem on the list here by Emily Dickinson and right. this is the last one I have it's called hope is the thing with feathers so you okay. ready for this one yep let's hear it here we go hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. So we have this little bird. It's likened to hope. Obviously hope is the thing with feathers. Uh, right. It does not uh, disappear when it encounters hardships or storms. There's a lot of uh, imagery that points back to uh, a gale or a, a storm, sort of like ocean-type weather. Um, and no matter what the speaker in the poem is doing, hope does not leave, even if the speaker offers nothing in return. You know, that, that final sentence there, the final line, it says, Yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. So it's in every place. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea. So hope is everywhere, man. I, I you know, I, I take that's, a lot from this. That's that's fairly beautiful, really. It, it really is. And I'm wondering if perhaps Luke Skywalker, you know, in, in <laughs> uh, Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope. That's right. Saw saw you know a thing with feathers and thought, called, you know what? Yeah. New feathered bird. <laughs> let's let's go kill Darth Vader because I've got hope. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty cool poem. It's short. Uh, it's been analyzed to death, but I, I think it's another one of these sort of surface level poems. It just is what it is. It obviously has the imagery of the, the bird flying, providing the hope, uh, showing up no matter what in any place and really never asking anything in return. So that it's just it is what it is. So, Jason, anything else on the topic of poetry? Yeah, Shannon, uh, this topic is is perfect for a uh, a cold call, what we like to call cold calls, right? It's been a while. It's been a little while. So, Jason, refresh my memory. What is a cold call? A cold call is where we just call somebody and say, hey, we need you to weigh in on some kind of a burning issue, right? Yeah. And so, we, we call one of our friends. So, one of our very good friends is currently pursuing her MFA in creative writing, and I'm sure she would have an expert opinion on this uh, particular topic, and that is Becky Hamilton. Let's get her on the line. Hello. Hey, Becky. This is uh, Jason. What's going on? Uh, not a lot. What are you into? <laughs> well, Shannon and I are sitting here actually recording the uh, latest episode of Slapdash, and our topic for this evening is poetry. And so we know you love poetry, and we thought you would be a, a very good person to call and get an expert opinion on a couple of questions here. Okay. Well, I don't know about expert, but I'll, I'll give you all <laughs> kinds of opinions. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Ready? Yes. All right. No time to think. Instant instant gut reaction here. Oh, it, it's a math question, by the way. Is that okay? That's not okay. <laughs> okay. What is the square root? No. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, here's the question. First question. Who is a better poet? Walt Whitman, Edgar Allan Poe? Edgar Allan Poe. Oh. The definitive answer. I like that answer. I like how she just was, you know, very confident with that. Yeah. So so Becky, why is that the case? Why why Poe over Whitman? I like Whitman because he's in kind of an images poet, but I think that Poe does a better job of telling a story and I kinda like that edgy gothic kind of feel and he definitely delivers okay becky you just did better than shannon and i uh for the last 30 minutes or so so good job all right well, way to go. that's yeah. that's why we called becky that's why you're the expert that's right the expert opinion oh, way in here we're just the amateurs that's right okay second question who's a better poet emily dickinson sylvia plath oh that's a tough one um well, I mean, there are some pluses uh, to Emily Dickinson. She writes a lot about death, but she did not kill herself. So that's a definite plus, in my right. opinion. W- one point um, Dickinson, right? <laughs> but I do use um, a lot of Sylvia Plath in my composition classes, um, specifically her poem Metaphors. Uh, so so there's that. But um, I guess I would have to still go with Emily Dickinson. She really uh, tried different things with format and I just really appreciate that. So, all right, I, I think we'd agree. We we chose some poems here that we read as well, and two of those were from Emily Dickinson. So, I think we're all in agreement. Well, good. That makes me feel a little bit better. I know that a lot of people appreciate those confessional poets like um, Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath, but sometimes that's just a little too heavy. So, I'll I'll take Emily any day. Yeah, I agree. Well, Becky, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Thanks for uh, taking Not our a call. Problem. All right. Yeah, have a great night. You too. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Bye. Becky. So she liked Poe. All right. And she liked Dickens. There we go. Yeah. She's a lover of all poets. She is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Good person. Yeah. So, Jason, I enjoyed this episode. I, I really like digging back into these poems. I've uh, not read them lately, but man, when I was teaching eighth grade and, and some college, yeah, I, we went through these quite a bit. And I've read these all out loud probably. I'd say at least a couple dozen yeah. times a piece. What about you? Yeah, it's. Uh, I haven't read poetry, honestly, Shannon, in, gosh, I don't know, seven, eight years, ten years. I mean, honestly, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. in terms of like reading more than one or for more than ten minutes. Right. Uh, so this is the most uh, poetry I've read in probably a decade preparing for this episode. Uh, and it kind of took me down memory lane. And I thought, hey, there's a whole other cool thing here that uh, I kind of <laughs> forgotten about. I've been so, ignoring this. That's right. Yeah. So, so you're going to go home and write a sonnet tonight or, or what, what do you uh, think? Something rival I may, Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. I, I may like walk down <clears throat> a little uh, wooden path and uh, go to like to maybe a pond and maybe just look P- at ponds look are at good a, for poetry. Yeah, man. yeah. Maybe just look at a duck. Like you know, Wordsworth, I think is really strong. In right, that. So Jason Wordsworth. <laughs> Jason Wordsworth. That's pretty you cool. Know, and one of the uh, one of my favorite ducks is a hooded meganser. <laughs> So, wait, wait, is that a thing? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. Cool. a hooded meganser. So, I may write some kind of very vivid poem tonight about the uh, life and death of a hooded meganser. Yeah, I, I love that. D- right. Don't kill him, though. Okay. Oh, no, I just, won't just kill metaphorically. Yeah, metaphorically. Okay. <laughs> Good deal. Well, thanks to all of our listeners who are joining us each week. We encourage you to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at SlapdashPod. We release new episodes in history, art, science, and everything else on Mondays and Thursdays. We'll catch you in the very next episode. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.